We did it again. Uh, another morning recording. But I'm all about it, though. It kind of feels like a good start to the day. And yeah. Not to get it over with, but, you know, like I feel a little bit fresher than maybe a full day of whatever is happening and then recording in the evening. Yeah, it's nice to like start with using your brain and then yeah. we can just forget it after we're done, <laughs> <laughs> which is nice. How was your walk? My walk was lovely. It's already getting a little bit humid here in St. Louis, so nice. that's a little bit frustrating, but it is also June 10th, so we've staved off the awful weather for as long as we possibly could. I'll deal with it. And I I don't know if on the podcast, if I've announced that I have a new dog, I'm not sure if we recorded it after. So. Yeah. So I have a little uh, studio buddy, but she's taking a nap. Um, but it's been an, an interesting life change over the past like month um, of just welcoming a new pet into the home and all the things that come with it. So yeah. Well, I don't think you shared on the podcast about what happened to your other dog, though. Oh, I didn't. Okay. Well, I think so, I know we've talked about it, but I don't think it was on the podcast. That's true. Well, I'm going to share it now. <laughs> and if it gets cut, it gets cut. But no um, I adopted a dog, my first ever pet back in 2015, 2016, 2016. And her name was Daphne and she was perfect, perfect angel baby. She was like eight weeks when I got her. So we were together for her entire life. And in October last year, she got very sick. Um, in about a week's time, we found out that she had cancer. And within that week, she passed away. So it was a very quick loss after, you know, seven years of being with her and raising her. She was our only child and all these things. Um, so it was heartbreaking. And we didn't know how we would move forward, really, just because this has been the only dog in my life. This has been the only dog in my husband's life. So, or at least, you know, in adulthood. Um, so we weren't really thinking about dogs. And then mm -hmm. February 28th to, to end Black History Month, I got a text message um, asking if I wanted a four-year-old white husky boy. And I was like, well, I'm not going to say no. So what's going on? <laughs> Turns out this dog, um, their owner is a friend of a friend who struggles with sobriety and had had a relapse and they had left their dog with our mutual friend who could not care for the dog in their house and so March 1st the dog came to my house and we started taking care of him and loving him and communicating with his mom um, throughout her recovery and things like this and it became clear that we're going to give him back to her when she's fully able and ready to take care of him um, so during that process since he is also a perfect angel baby we decided let's adopt and so we were going to meet a dog and we were in the pets pet smart and we were waiting for our dog to show up we had already talked to the foster we told everybody oh we're here to meet so and so and such and such whatever but then this dog that's in front of us just like made us melt and so that's the dog that i have right now her name is kimbra <laughs> we abandoned the other dog that we said oh we're gonna God. get um and so now we're husky people because she turns out to also be a husky and uh the best news is that as of today we are one day into starting to reintegrate the the rescue the foster husky back into his mom's life um so she'll oh. be having him for the weekends and that'll give me time with my kimbra to like train and things like that without distraction so like it feels very mission complete right now mm -hmm. so i'm feeling extra happy today just like 
things are working. There's no yeah. drama. It's a good thing. These are all just, it's like, I'm not religious, but I will call them blessings. Um, mm-hmm because that's what it feels like and that's what it is so anyway that was a long extra story to say no it's beautiful though doing well (laughs) good i'm glad it's always got to like see you doing well and hear you doing well man how are you doing i'm good um likewise i feel like i'm in a a really good place um kind of i guess across the board you do look like you just got off the mat at the gymnastics like trials right now (laughs) it's very olympics over there I know. I like I considered dressing accordingly to honor uh the woman with so much class and high regard for oh, this yeah. episode. Yes. So here I am in like this oversized hoodie and like almost no makeup and um bad hair. You know what? <laughs> we will talk about that as yes. we talk about Mary Church Terrell or Terrell because the name changes depending on who says it. I know. <laughs> But I'm going to go with Terrell because I think that's what I heard the most. Yeah. So we'll go with that. But I'm glad you're doing well and and comfy, cozy. Yes, very comfy (laughs) over here. Um, It's a little like overcast and uh, kind of feels like one of those days if I can get a good workout in after this episode and then go ahead and just like chill and maybe (laughs) binge watch a couple of shows, I wouldn't be mad at it, you know? Absolutely. Okay, but let's get into Mary Church Terrell. Let's. All right. So um, Mary Church Terrell was raised in privilege, but degraded by persistent racial prejudice. Mary Church Terrell fought for the basic human rights um, and to be treated equally. Born the year of the Emancipation Proclamation, she made it her life's mission to fight for justice. She, along with her husband, became champions of this cause. Along the way, their house became a beacon for change. Today, her former home on 326 uh, T Street um, is a dilapidated frame in LeDroit Park in Washington, D.C. Its current state threatens uh, threatens to erase a landmark that deserves to be preserved for a woman whose efforts continue to impact the city. So we um, prepared for this episode um, to honor Mary Church Terrell, um, watching this documentary. Of course, we'll post in the show notes um, to just learn a bit more about her. And I feel like the general theme, um, I don't think we've talked about people sort of being like hidden figures or women in the movement being hidden figures. I don't think that she was really hidden. It just, unfortunately, it's almost like a forgotten or um, not honored figure um, as she should have been to really understand and um, get to continue to honor the impact that she has had for everyone. Yeah. And honestly, like I was thinking about that because uh, when you look at what she did or what she was part of like the catalyst of or and who she was a catalyst for, you would think that her name would show up a lot more in Mm -hmm. any kind of formal education. But um, as we're learning now more and more um, when it comes to how education and like the material that children will learn is formed, they love a box. They love a simple presentation a unit and for black history which is relegated to 28 days you know um they got room for martin luther king jr rosa parks and they might mention malcolm x if they want to bring a villain into the story but that's like it you know yeah so it's interesting though because even in the uh documentary so it's called dignity and defiance the story of mary church terrell um, the, really just in that opening sort of scene, they have referenced uh, Mary Church Terrell as like Rosa Parks before Rosa Parks. 
Um, yeah. And I, I thought that that was kind of interesting. And as the story goes along or as the documentary goes along, then you kind of make, you definitely make those connections on why she was so important in everything that she did. Um, and she was never going to back down, which I loved. Right. Um, I kind of want to get into where she comes from mm-hmm. first, because um, yeah. I think that's vital to talking about why her impact was even able to be made. Um, and I don't mean this to take away anything from her, but we do need to talk about politics that are involved in why certain people can speak and act up and why other people can't. And Mm -hmm. Mary Church Terrell, both of her parents were mixed race. And so she was light skinned. Um, And also her dad was a real estate person. I don't know what exactly he was in real estate, but he was one of the first um, millionaire, black millionaires of the South. And so she grew up with money, 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 money. I forget what the mom did too, but the mom was also um, somewhat wealthy or at least in those circles. So Mary uh, Church Terrell grew up, I just said, I was going to say Terrell and I said Terrell. So we're just going to roll with it. Um, She grew up in wealth. She grew up in like high society. And so that informs a lot of the places that she she can go, the way that she's going to lead, the way that she's going to act because she grew up in a different world. Um, So I just want to start there because I think that that's, that is important when we talk about the the leaders. And that, that also shocked me that she wasn't included in some of our formal education because you would think that you would want to kind of highlight this not rags to riches, but it's um, the story of success. You know, the, su- yeah. the if money is success, then she had the money. If, you know, power and access is success, then she had those things. So to exclude her um, from the history books in the way that it has happened is interesting. Now, we also have to remember this is a woman. So that can be right. another factor as to why we don't hear about her. But Yeah, I mean, it's definitely multifaceted. Um, So another uh, important piece to note is that her parents were formerly enslaved, so both of them, and they both were mixed race. And so in and of that, um, in and of itself, that brings um, a different sort of level of access, especially for the time. I mean, we're talking about the 1800s. So um, again, she was born right before the Emancipation Proclamation, so in 1863, Um, And this is not exactly a time for Black people to like thrive, right? And so um, you do have some nuance to take into account where both of her parents are mixed. Um, They're, you know, sort of lighter, at least from the, what I can gather from those Black and white pictures is that they're they're fair skin, skin, and then they come together and then have Mary Church Terrell, and um, she is likewise, if not maybe even lighter. Um, Yeah. But so, yes, like you mentioned, her um, father was really successful um, in his own right. So um, he opened various saloons and brothels. Um, He was into real estate and um, he did all this in the Memphis area where Mary was born. Um, But his really uh, some like a value that he really wanted to instill into his daughter is that um, she could pursue literally whatever she wanted that she would not need to work. And so that definitely shaped a lot of who Mary um, became and um, offered a lot of access for her. You know, money brings access and that's what she um, what she had, which 
we know is uh, somewhat of a privilege. Um, but then as life goes on and she um, goes to these different schools, like she'd spent time in Yellow Springs and then Oberlin um, in Ohio. Um, and these were not segregated schools. Um, and so that offers, you know, more education. And so uh, then as she moves on to go to Europe um, and study for a few years and comes back and she's like sort of this epiphany of like, hold on, Rachel relation like that this is awful you know and then she really sort of gets um in the throes of wanting to make more change and do more than study all the time I guess right um, to sort of <laughs> help lift up other people yeah and you know that whole idea of you can do whatever you want you have access you have you have all the tools and if you don't have them I have them is it's such an interesting thing because this comes up a lot. I feel like it came up a lot during 2020 when it came to people and their economic status, status and ability to do things because everyone was being laid off and stuff. And there was really like a, um, I won't say a war, but there was a divide between uh, classes, even if you had shared space because people were finding out, oh, so-and-so has rich parents, you know, like so-and-so is chilling. Mm -hmm. And I think what, is interesting, especially for Black people when it comes to having access to money, is that we are not so far removed from not having any choices that if you do have the ability to like put down a dollar and grant access to your child, why wouldn't you? And like right. the quick, the quick succession of this man who came from nothing to being able to provide a life for his daughter where she didn't have to work is amazing and i'm i'm glad that they that this was talked about and it mm -hmm. wasn't like oh she you know army crawled through the mud and da, 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 da. <laughs> it's like no she was granted this through you know through her parentage to allow her to use her brain more because mm -hmm. you'd be amazed what can happen when the stress of whatever else is off your shoulders yeah. you know what I mean so like to to have her access her brain and her heart and want to change the world that honestly that that pathway was carved out by a little bit of money 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 and yeah. like that can't be bad all the time like we then got Mary Church Terrell like right. you know it's it's making me think about a lot of different conversations that are happening, specifically the one where I say, if I get buttloads of money, my kids will be absolutely spoiled. I'm sorry. I want them to relax and have fun and, and figure out a cure for cancer or whatever they want to yeah. do and not worry about getting food on the table, you right. know? Yeah. Anyway. I mean, with that access to, and again, getting to, um, to have the education and going overseas to study, um, eventually what really put her into the throes of, um, of trying to create change and realizing even more so of what the issues, um, black people were facing of the time was when her friend, Tom Moss was lynched. Um, she was only 28 years old when this happened, but that really sort of fundamentally radicalized her um, he was lynched, you know, he had a store, um, that was doing really, really well. And, uh, white people were like, you shouldn't be doing this well is essentially what, um, what caused them to lynch him. And, um, that, that was a, a pivotal point for, um, for her to get into this work. Um, and what I, I think is interesting too, you had alluded to, or at least mentioned uh, about how, you know, she's so educated and um, 
it has a lot of knowledge. And I mean, in addition to her sort of presenting herself in this like classy and um, well-spoken sort of way, um, the we're, what we're seeing right now in our society is that it feels like they're trying not to let people be educated because, uh, oh, what I am going to forget his name. Uh, he's a TikToker. I'll have to post it in the show notes when I find it after. But his tagline is education is elevation. And uh, that's exactly what it is. So if you can be educated and you can learn more, you can learn about history in the correct ways and be able to tie that to maybe what's happening now or be able to um, shape a worldview to to help um, or to help lift up others, then that's why like the majority doesn't want you to be educated because you know too much and um, knowledge is your power. And that is exactly how Mary Church Terrell was. Yeah. And that the whole book banning thing, it's mm-hmm. like you don't want people to find out that this happened and is happening again or something like you don't want the pattern to be shown. It's very interesting. It's um, it's a, it'll be interesting to see how people get around that, too, because the book bans are actively happening. I mean, there are empty libraries in school, but there's not I, I hope that there's not a way to like have kids that actually don't know these things. I would hope that there's ways around it. I'm interested to see how. I mean, I hope it's not just the rich kids. I mean, as a parent of a five, almost six-year-old who's going to be going to first grade, like, yeah, I he's he's going to find out. I, I can assure you that. Um, and I think the legislators that are putting these things into effect are going to fuck around and find out that people will still figure out a way, you know? Right. <laughs> anyway, is I hope. Sorry. Yeah. Well, no, I think I know that we keep going on like side tangents, but unfortunately like this That's lady's how we life do. is so, it's so relevant. It's right now. Mm-hmm. It's right now. The things that she was fighting for were still, it's still happening. Absolutely. I mean, in different ways, obviously, like there's not segregation, but low key there's a, segregation you know like there's there are still some hurdles that we thought we had gotten rid of prior to 1954 but here we are um how are what is going on with the book banning and and the attack on lgbtqia and things like that around you i not to take too far away from i mean it's giving this but florida almost you know what i mean like if they could mimic florida it would be the same you you know it's it's all of that like it's it's not same um, here yeah yeah i just it's not great i mean i don't get like super involved um in terms of like seeing every single thing that's brought to the legislature and see what did they you know do today, but I see it um, in passing and um, just kind of how my algorithms are set up, you know, on various sources. So um, there, there's some of that. Um, and then, of course, you know, the news and whatever, and like uh, talk to about it, um, talk to people about it. But it's, I think it's one of those things where I'm like, I myself cannot control this, um, but I will try and help those who are doing um, are making an effect. And at the end of the day, I'm still going to do me and I'm still going to do this podcast and I'm still going to read and I'm still going to, you know, learn things. And I'm still going to, um, find ways to critically think about different situations and, um, make sure that my view and, uh, 
the way that I sort of feel about things is intact and I can pass that along to my son so that he can critically think and um, think for himself. So uh, I don't know, it's, it's not a one shot answer, but I know that things are uh, upside down and all around, but yeah, yeah, just about the same here. But I mean, if we take a page out of the book of all these people that we've learned about, then the method of we got to keep going mm -hmm. is probably the best one to go with, you know, like exactly. we have to just keep doing what we've been doing. And I think right now, a lot of people who haven't been used to having to keep on keeping on are learning that mm -hmm. and learning that it's, it's incredibly exhausting, mm -hmm. especially to have legislation uh, go against you as well, especially an overwhelming amount of legislation going against you, um, multiple identities, you know, um, but keeping, keeping on, keeping on is all we can do. That's what all these people that we talked about are doing. So okay. sorry, I have to, I have to like <laughs> put everything <laughs> in perspective because contextually, I know that these are different things, but they relate. So yeah, absolutely. Speaking of education, so um, this is also how Mary met her husband. Um, so he was a, a teacher at Wilberforce University, which is an HBCU, um, where he taught Latin, and he was also the chair of the language department. Um, Mary ends up working here as well, if I understand it correctly, and um, really sort of enjoyed assisting him and um, getting to speak with him. These two very educated people um, highly educated people come together and are able to connect on um, so many different topics, but especially language. <laughs> okay, educated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, so the, they're able to connect on um, on these fronts, which is kind of cute, I think. It was so cute. Their love story to me was really, I mean, it's layered as any love story will be. Um, but they spent time apart from each other and wrote letters that were also loving. And they used pet names and they obviously mm -hmm. were interested in each other's brains and hearts and bodies and all these things. And they formed a family based on their shared interests. And it was just really cute. It was, it was nice to hear a story about these Black people that met um, in the spaces where they both thrive and are just thriving side by side. And there wasn't a control factor. Mm -hmm. You know, it was like, you do you, I do me, we do we, and support each other. And it was so nice to hear that. It yeah. was really nice to hear that. And it was also cute to see their, like, the to, like, literally see pictures of their um, their letters to each other and, yeah. you know, their little pet names and stuff. It, it was adorable. Um so together, um, they were kind of doing their, um, they were trying to uh, make progression or like path, uh, pave a way for progression for Black people. Um, but also they were in this place of um, not against each other, but kind of. So the relationship between uh, Mary and Robert, as they eventually they get married, they have... Um, unfortunately, two miscarriages, and they have two daughters, and they're really just kind of intertwined with each other in this beautiful sort of marriage. But over time, Theodore Roosevelt appoints Robert Terrell as a judge on the municipal court of the District of Columbia. And um, so that paired with what everything that Mary's fighting for, looking for suffrage for women and um, 
things like that. I mean, these are very controversial topics of the time. And so they're kind of at like this, um, I love you, but like what you do for work and what you do for work, or like this is not aligning correctly um, to the point where Booker T. Washington um, tried to uh, basically tell Robert that he needed to get Mary in check um, because of the things that she was speaking out on and like the movements that she had and um, enacted and everything, which is kind of like, don't tell me to put my wife in check. I mean, this is in very okay. like now terms. <laughs> um, you know, I'm sure it was put together a lot nicer um, back then. Uh, but I also get the vibe that he was low key like, uh, you worry about yours. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, yeah. Washington also in the policing. Uh, anyway, that's a different episode. But um, I'm glad that I'm glad that Robert did not engage in that kind of stuff because I'm sure that as a man. And just like in those circles of high society, powerful people, and then being married to someone who was also in that circle, um, a lot of those conversations were probably happening. It's like, you can let her out there talk like that, you know, da, 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 da. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I am. I met her doing that and I loved it. So that's mm-hmm. why we're together. You know, exactly. it's like, what are you so afraid of? I'm not. Exactly. And something <laughs> that, um, you know, speaking of the, of suffrage and um, being part of that movement. So, um, as Mary is, you know, being able to advocate for advocate for women and also advocate for black people, what was a turning point for her was that she had to walk in the segregated section, um, in the back of the suffrage March. And it's like, hold on, Susan B. Anthony and whoever else put this together. Like, how are we really going to segregate this? Because at the end of the day, um, this is a quote from um, from Mary. She said, colored women are the only women in this country that have two heavy handicaps to overcome, that of race and that of sex. So true. We're on intersectionality mm-hmm. back then. I, you know, I'm also really interested in more of a more of a conversation about the racism in the suffragette movement. Mm-hmm. Because I think people like to overlook that because they're in their, you know, Tina Fey, Amy Poehler bag, like girl power, whatever. We have to understand that there are black women there, too, that were told to go in the back, mm-hmm. like very important black women, too. You know, so I, I don't know if that is the conversation that happens often, but I've being being someone who knows a lot of white ladies certainly do not see it. I see a lot of stickers, you know, and a lot of t-shirts, but I don't see a lot of conversation about, oh, this was bad. We need to like make sure that we're intersectional too right now. You know, that feels like maybe a 2017 conversation that happened and then got dropped. But I'd like to see more because there are more Mary Terrells in the back. I want to know about them, you know? Yeah. And I think that's a lot of the criticism of the feminist movement, or maybe not a lot, but part of the criticism of the feminist movement um, or being a feminist is that it hadn't um, or does not really include black women. Um, And it almost pits like, oh, well, um, what, like, for example, oh, you know, we only got voting rights for women a hundred years ago. And meanwhile, black women are like, well, yeah, girl, but I'm black. And so it still took longer. You know, it's still, you know, several years after that, that um, voting rights for everyone was set into place. So um, it's it's like the oppression Olympics. uh, um, It's been referenced uh, lately. (laughs) And so white women, black women, 
yes, we're both women, but you also have this other layer of, well, but I'm also a black woman. And so, uh, you know, even like this, this is the episode of tangents, but you know, (laughs) being called aggressive or being called, um, angry and like all of these sort of negative ways to describe black women it's it's really harmful um which i think i know is also part of why mary church Terrell sort of presented herself in this very um classy sort of way and um classy but powerful in the way that she was able to accomplish things it was like she sort of held the weight of the race on her um seeing herself as a representation of black people in a sense and obviously you know we had talked about sort of the colorism that comes into play da, 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 and maybe that you know, i i think it would be um a disservice to not acknowledge that that likely is part of why maybe she was so successful um and being able to do the things that she did regardless we still appreciate everything that she did but um it you know, like Ida B. Wells by her side, right? You can tell even in those black and white pictures, there's a different uh, color that's happening. And yeah. so um, anyway, but yeah, it's just, it's the class, it's the um, demeanor, the um, sort of elegance and um, ferocity without being aggressive or like really being that outward sort of, um, uh, I don't know, like, domineering uh, approach is it was integral into how she was able to uh, do what she did absolutely and i'm glad you brought that up especially in regards to the angry black woman um idea because one thing about respectability is one it's it, it's harmful but also put it in the context of when everything was going down at that time it probably it was necessary and also she could pull it off you know what mm-hmm. i mean she could remain calm she could she was highly educated so it's easy to not have to uh get into lengthy debates when you already know the answer you know mm-hmm. like she she was really with it plus she was attractive and she was light-skinned and she was married and she was a mom and she was a, you know what i mean yeah. it's like yeah she had all this stuff in her bag so she could really lead um and it was really Really good like she had a full tool belt which is mm-hmm. awesome and it it's almost worked. like that barometer of like okay how much am I going to listen to this person especially for that time you know um do you check like xyz boxes to get to the point where consciously or unconsciously probably very consciously at that time are they going to respect you as a person um right. and she checked those boxes and more and she knew what the hell she was talking about like that is such Absolutely. a big thing. She was confident in what she did. Maybe it's not. Being so educated, Mary spoke out and wrote about the injustices uh, with voting rights and um, segregation and everything that was, especially with lynching. Um, and so um, being able to take what she knew and put that into practice to help create change. So she knew that in Washington, there was legislation that was called no. Uh, um, that was called anti-discrimination laws. And um, it wasn't repealed at all, but it was ignored. And that was from the 1870s. So when we're talking about um, the later 1800s, early 1900s, and she's like, um, hold up, you guys are supposed to be enforcing this. Like, you can't discriminate for people that are co- going to come into your establishment. I have a right to be here. And the problem is that all of these business owners, or let's say white business owners and uh, white establishments were just like, who cares about what's in legislation if they even knew what the laws were um, and just were like, 
nope, we're just going to um, keep doing what we're doing. And so basically she um, created this boycott um, of this Hex department store um, for eight months. And eventually they um, they ended up caving because um, it just, it wasn't working for them. Um, and it wasn't really a good look to have like this segregated capital of the United States um, being the center focus and really like, oh, this is what we're about is being segregated when one, that's not what the law was. And two, um, that's not how people should be treated. Right. That's not the American way, right? <laughs> right. right. Um, I th- also thought that was really interesting that we hadn't heard about her because of all the emphasis, at least in my uh, education, had around protests and sit-ins and things like that. Like, this is this is where all that came from, you know, like this... Mm-hmm. We're getting everybody involved. We're getting our organizations involved, of which she was president and whatever else, you know, like this is the foundation for the people that we did end up learning about. So I'm super shocked. I don't know why I'm shocked, but I am shocked mm-hmm. that we hadn't heard about her just because. Maybe disappointed. Hello? Yeah. 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 Disappointment. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it's like, um, it could have been nice just to to know how far back this stuff had been happening you know and what was working and how we found out what worked and what didn't like that's important absolutely especially because that was such a big um case that um had had come to fruition so they ended up filing a lawsuit against john r thompson company which was that um sort of department store restaurant place um that said that she wasn't allowed to um to dine there and so um yeah february 1950 uh washington dc won that case. And then um, a few years later, the Supreme Court of Washington, D.C. said to finally remove the segregation. So, um, you know, that's starting um, to really, that's a starting point, I guess, that then sort of um, expands to um, more places in the entire country in Mm -hmm. a few years to come. Oh, we kind of skipped over this part, um, but Robert, her husband, actually passed away in 1925. Um, and so uh, because he uh, he suffered from a heart attack and he was paralyzed on one side, it sounds like part of their uh, sort of strife outside of being, you know, a judge on the municipal court and his wife um, or Mary, who's like, hey, like, I don't like the things that you guys are, um, you know, deciding on. Um, and sort of that kind of strife within their marriage um, in terms of their, I guess, path or, you know, their careers and everything. Um, and then the issue with alcohol and maybe drinking too much and all of that. And so, um, unfortunately, that kind of was part of his demise. And um, so she became a widow um, in 1925. Uh, but that didn't stop her from continuing to do the things that things that she was doing, um, which is really like a testament to black women I'm going to say is that you know we keep going like we um there might be some sort of wrench that's thrown into the mix but ultimately we're going to keep going and we're going to get what we need to done yeah you know that whole that whole uh section of the of the documentary and the conversation about her caring for the health and her really being on it when it came to to self-care you know she worked out obviously she Mm -hmm. was always trying to be presentable so I'm sure that that was part of it um but also just general like you have to take care of yourself um men didn't typically do that Mm -hmm. um in fact 
a lot of marriages that you, I mean, hell, modern day marriages. Uh, I feel like men marry a new mom. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to do this myself. So I need the lady of the house to tell me how to do it. And she did. There's instructions of how to, to care for their daughters in some of their letters that they sent to each other, um, which is, you know, it's tragic on one end, but it's also a loving, caring, gentle um, relationship that they maintained um, out of just the care for each other. Um, but his situation, his alcoholism, his, well, alleged, you know, drinking issues, um, and his unhealthy behaviors kind of reminded me of Thurgood Marshall, um, who also famously had, was always smoking or always drinking Mm. and things like that. He was on a Supreme Court justice, you know, I can imagine that for Black men of the time, um, well, yeah, specifically Black men, uh, these alcohol, drugs, sex, you know, this was all super necessary for the escapism because there was direct violence in their face at all times. Mm -hmm. So I have this other idea of the whole, I married my mom thing because I'm like, she also had great empathy for his station in life, you know, Mm -hmm. his, his experience. So I think like her, Hey babe, like, why don't you try this? (laughs) Why don't you try that? Is like, it's going to be okay. Like, I know that you're going through stuff. It's not just being a man. You know, I know that this life is happening to you. Let's try this. You know, I thought it was gentle. I thought it was complicated. But um, I have, I it just reminded me of all these men that you hear about from back in the day that kind of drowned their sorrows or had to deal with so much they had nowhere else to go. And it was kind of nice to know that he had somewhere to go you know mm-hmm. with her and she was willing mm-hmm. to be that place for as long as she could right then she was like all right off to the motherfucking races because mm-hmm. <laughs> i'm a widow and we got to get on these stages yeah. we're doing speaking engagements man mm-hmm. you know well she definitely used her power um and you know her education to help uplift those uplift those that um didn't have you know the the resources to um to do so. And a lot of her approach was like, okay, we've got to sort of redefine education in the streets and then also in the schools so that, um, you know, people get on the same page and um, they're able to maybe lead better lives and um, help with lifting up other people as well. Sometimes when I think about um, the NAACP, well, organizations um for black folks and if they are they are operating through respectability it kind of some it sometimes makes me nervous that the idealized life is theirs and i didn't grow up rich like the people who are often telling us like you should try this you know what Mm -hmm. i mean um so i also i think or what I what I gathered was it wasn't that with Mary Church Terrell. It was mm-hmm. more so this is what we're this is where we are. This is what the law is doing. We're all black. We mm-hmm. all need to be able to sit wherever the hell we want. You yeah. know, so I I kind of appreciated that, even though she was heavily involved in these groups. Um, and you know, there's politics within the groups that could be one way, but I think her as a person and the people that she directly affected as well, there was great empathy and understanding of 
the, the things that allow different people to go to different places. And she just wanted everybody above board. She said, look, it's for all black people. Mm-hmm. It's for all black people, mm-hmm. not just the ones who grew up rich and light skinned and skinny. You know, yeah. well, she they had said um, in that documentary as well that there's no success if our people don't come along with us. Period. Yeah. And uh, to your point, too, that is uh, interesting how like people who are wealthy, they're like, yeah, you need to invest. You need to invest, for example. Um, oh, this is absolutely a, a tangent, but I do want to get back to um, we did an, an episode last year um, about black, the wealth in the black community. And um, just over that last year, I've kind of had some uh, more understanding and learning myself. And so anyway, we'll get back to that. But still, like you can't be like super wealthy and then tell poor people who maybe don't have that disposable income to, you know, just invest in this and like, you know, all of that. You've got to kind of meet people for where they are. And Mary definitely was able to do that with um, the people that she impacted and to help bring them along for the ride. No, we didn't go into much detail here, but there, like we've talked about uh, the movements that Mary was a part of, but part of her being so distinguished, um, she served two terms on um, school boards, um, and she was the first African-American woman to be appointed. She also was elected as president of the National Council of Negro Women um, back in 1896. I mean, the that's going to be a disservice to not list all of her accolades, but then also um, we don't have every single one um, handy, but you know the purpose of these episodes is to share what we have learned and then be able to uh, Im- implore all of you listeners to read or uh, watch what we've watched and maybe learn a bit more yourself. Um, I know she's written books, so that could be something that you uh, go and do and maybe something that we could do as well is like, okay, let's read one of her books or all of them or whatever and um, get to know who Mary was and get to understand more of um, the specifics of her impact and maybe some of the the things that we didn't get to cover in this episode. For sure. Yeah. There's, I mean, clearly there's so much more. This is barely the tip of the iceberg, but I'm also happy that we even got to mention her name and learn. And there's a, there's a big thing um, about Mary Church Terrell. And I don't know if we mentioned it in a different episode. I feel like we did because I remember this phrase, but she's the one who coined the term lifting as we climb. Oh, I didn't know she coined it. That makes sense. Yeah, that's yeah. what they say, Bunny Bread. Now let me double check that. <laughs> <laughs> but they said, yeah, she coined it. Uh, Mary Church. Yeah. Yeah. She was the one. Mm, nice. She was I the mean, one. Yeah, I mean, she definitely lived by that value and um it's pretty unwavering from what it appears yeah so there's this quote from mary um from mary church Terrell that says i cannot help wondering what i might have become and might have done if i had lived in a country which had not circumscribed and handicapped me on account of my race but had allowed me to reach any heights i was able to attain end quote and so, you know, at this point for the two of us and everyone all speaking on all black people in this country, um, you know, we're in a very different time than the 18 and 1900s, but we still experience much of the same and sort of this uh, repackaged and redelivered in a disparate way. Um, 
And so I wonder who we would be or what now we know would be about. I don't. Can you even imagine? No, I don't think that I would even have critical thinking skills if I didn't grow up Black in America. Mm. Um, If I didn't grow up having to think twice about everything that I do or other people are doing, um, have to observe my surroundings just because Mm -hmm. by existing, I'm a target or a weapon, you know, depending on the conversation. I don't think I would have half the personality that I have, you know? And also there's an intersection of being queer and that other, you know, there's a, there's a great amount of defense that has to be formed. There's a great amount of survival skills and of course, uh, critical thinking and a need for educating to validate your existence. So what would we, now we know if we just felt like we knew everything. I know. It just would be like, it's unimaginable. It sounds boring. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) it sounds boring. But, you know, I did have that thought, um, especially back in 2018 um, during uh, the Black Panther movie, like the whole premiere and the idea of Wakanda and like Mm -hmm. the Wakandans never experienced like slave trade and things like this. So they just developed a society and there's that, you know, it's and they're just living and thriving. And yeah. Just living, still, still have a, a a caste system of some sort, right? Sure. Still have, still have a royal family, and they still got poor people. So, uh, but like, um, yeah, that idea is interesting. I actually am not interested in um, who that person in that alternate universe is because it sounds whacked. Yeah, that's fair. I like being black. I like all yes. the things that we do, even if it came out of some extra stress that we could do without. But I mean, what a gift to make it to the other side and the keep on keeping on brought me here, you mm-hmm. know. So I guess I'll just keep doing that, <laughs> you know. I agree. Yeah. Mm. Wow. I'm, so, so, I'm like turning my oh. nose up. Sorry, I'm no, yeah, we'll oh, end no. it there. But I'm turning my nose up at the idea of like never having to think. That's crazy. All right, Donna, it's time for Now, now you, you know. know. So for Now You Knows this week, um, I have a very short one. You know, I love my arts and entertainment. And if you haven't been living under a rock or under the sea, you have heard that there is a new Disney movie starring a black Ariel played by Halle Bailey. And I went to go see it um, opening day. And let me tell you, actually, it was the day before opening day, because Thursday nights, they release the movies for the matinee. So you can get a discounted ticket for the premiere. Check it out. Anyway, um, I also wanted to try to go to the theater to kind of avoid large crowds of children. Jokes on me, they were already out of school. So, (laughs) but but the sweet thing about it, uh, as a grown man going to see The Little Mermaid alone at 3 p.m. surrounded by children, (laughs) the the sweet thing about it was that a lot of the groups of kids were young Black girls that were dressed up as princesses, were dancing to the songs, and were, like, reacting to the movie way differently than me, obviously. I'm looking at the CGI, I'm looking at the choices made, and they're saying, wow. Oh, ah, and like Hallie's hair would whip around. They go, ah, you know, like the girls 
were living, the boys were living. Um, and it was, it's the move, it's it, there's nothing wrong with this movie, and it's yeah. so hotly debated. Um, I have my own technical um technical critiques, but that's just because I like movies and I like to break things down. But like as a film, it is great for kids. The music is great. Most of the music is great. <laughs> I had to yeah. edit that because yeah. <laughs> Lin-Manuel Miranda, you know what you did. But mm -hmm. um, go see Little Mermaid and go support all of these, even if it's like an empty gesture of look at us, we have diversity. That's still Halle Bailey, who's still a Black woman, who's still the star of a billion dollar movie, you know what I mean? Whose grandpa's grandpa was picking cotton. Yeah. I saw this video of her, her grandpa at the premiere and they were just sobbing because he grew up in a house that why would I be at a movie premiere? Yeah. You know, it's, it's like in his one lifetime, he experienced so much. And even in my lifetime to see all these black girls just living, just seeing yeah. themselves like we are princesses. I was like, yeah. it's great. It's great. So anyway, support them. Support. That's at least beautiful Hallie. though. It's yeah. like Hallie is her ancestors wildest dreams. And like, that's, seriously. that's really cool for her grandfather to be able to see that. Oh, and she did a great job. The I haven't seen it yet, but I think I'm going to go um, tomorrow. Um, and yeah, so by the time this you know episode is is released, I'll, I will have had seen it, nice. and I'm super excited. Um, because I don't know, I just I want the feel goods. First of all, Gray doesn't care about mermaids in general, okay. and so he's <laughs> not interested in going to the film. I think like maybe he could watch it, but. And would be into it but like i'm not taking the risk of making him sit through however long it is and then he's like oh, right no like we went to spider-man last week uh last weekend and um an hour into this two-hour movie he's like mommy is it over yet and i'm like <laughs> spider-man like you uh, know anyway yeah. so he he's anyway watch it at home he ain't going I was, yeah I was he ain't say... going i'm going by myself not by myself but I'm i'm gonna go yeah in the third act, um, there's a moment of genuine terror. Like the CGI is actually scary and I'm an adult. And, uh, oh. and who likes, I fall asleep to horror movies. Like I like mm -hmm. that stuff. I was like, not in a Disney movie. This is frightening me. Um, so young kids, if you know, I would say maybe like eight on up, eight on up. In the yeah, theater. but it's funny though, because I know you like your horror movies and you know, I don't like horror movies. And so if I go to scared? this Disney movie and come back with nightmares, like, is this you really might... a Disney movie or is it going <laughs> to be a Key and Peele movie? Or like, it, it depends <laughs> on how big the screen is. How about that? Oh my it's, God. It's so or Jordan well done, Peele. Though. I mean, not Key and Peele, <laughs> Jordan Peele movie. Though I wouldn't mind a Key and Peele Little Mermaid. That sounds oh fun to God. me. <laughs> anyway uh, sorry i'm rambling on too much now i'm nervous to go see it anyway okay no. so my <laughs> my now you know um so this is somebody who i know we have mentioned at least a handful of times in other now you know episodes um or now we know episodes and um it's really just been in passing and then i realized like we have not actually done a full episode on them or really kind of given them um their flowers or an ode to them as we uh probably should and so. 
Ida B. Wells, who we had mentioned, um, was kind of walking hand in hand with Mary Church Terrell um, throughout the movement, uh, really kind of um, obviously fighting on the for the same uh, reasons as as Mary was, but um, they were similar in terms of being like writers and um, really being advocates for um, the movement. So Ida B. Wells um, is an African-American civil rights advocate, journalist, and feminist. She's an American hero um, with some detail about who she was here. So she was born enslaved in Holly Springs, Mississippi in 1862. She was the oldest daughter of James and Lizzie Wells. During Reconstruction, her parents were active in the Republican Party. Mr. Wells was involved with the Freedmen's Aid Society and helped start Rust College. Rust is an, is an historically Black liberal arts college. It's affiliated with the United Methodist Church and was one of 10 historic Black colleges and universities founded before 1869 that are still operating. Wells attended Rust College to receive her early education, but was forced to drop out at 16, or but was forced to drop out. At 16, Wells lost both parents and one of her siblings in a yellow fever in yellow fever outbreaks. She convinced a nearby school administrator that she was 18 and landed a job as a teacher to take care of her siblings. In 1892, um, she turned her attention to anti-lynching and after a friend and two of his business associates were murdered, Tom Moss, who we had mentioned um, earlier in the episode with Mary Church Hurrell, um, Calvin McDowell and Will Stewart um, started a grocery store which drew customers away from a white-owned store in the neighborhood. The white store owner and his supporters clashed with Moss, McDowell, and Stewart on multiple occasions. One night, they had to go guard um, had to guard their store against an attack and ended up shooting several of the white men. They were arrested and taken to jail. Unfortunately, they did not have a chance to defend themselves. A lynch mob took them for, from their cells and murdered them. Wells wrote articles decrying the lynching and risked her own life traveling the South to gather information on other lynchings. One of her editorials pushed some of the city's whites um, over the edge. A mob stormed her newspaper office and destroyed all of her equipment. Wells was in New York at the time of the incident, which likely saved her life. She stayed in the North after her life was threatened and wrote an in-depth report on lynching in America for the New York Age. Um, this was a newspaper run by T. Thomas Fortune, a former slave. Um, so uh, Wells was an active fighter for women's for women's suffrage, particularly for Black women. On January 30th, 1913, Wells founded the Alpha Suffrage Club in Chicago. The club organized women in the city to elect candidates who would best serve the Black community. As president of the club, she was invited to march in the 1913 suffrage parade in Washington, D.C., along with dozens of other uh, club members. Organizers, afraid of offending Southern white suffragists, asked women of color to march at the back of the parade. Wells refused and stood on the parade sidelines until the Chicago um, contingent of white women passed, at which point she joined the march. The rest of the suffrage club um, contingent marched at the back of the parade. Work done by Wells and, um, and the Alpha Suffrage Club played a crucial role in the victory of women's suffrage in Illinois in, on June 25th, 1913, with the passage of the Illinois Suffrage Act. Unfortunately, she died um, of kidney disease on March 25th in 1931 in Chicago, but she leaves behind a legacy of social and political activism. Well, I'd be Wells. Uh, yeah, yes. I'm surprised we haven't done an episode on her. I know. I was like, hold on. But hmm. definitely um, 
a lot of overlap with Mary Church Terrell um, and super successful in her own right. She actually also won, uh, was awarded a Pulitzer Prize for her outstanding courageous reporting on the horrific and vicious violence against African-Americans during the, er- the era of lynching. So I thought was pretty yeah. impactful. Yeah. You know, Ida B. Wells, I feel like comes up a lot because people mm-hmm. learn about Ida mm-hmm. in probably in college college yeah maybe in high school um but not everybody does i think we should do an episode on her we should i'm gonna gonna write it down we'll have to expand a bit more um we'll find you know some more uh material to to learn more about her and um all that and yeah it'll be really great maybe this is our opportunity for reading maybe ida b wells is our opportunity for reading We'll look into it, yeah. Idea scams. And And now now you know. know. Friendly reminder, Juneteenth is coming up on Monday, June 19th. Uh, We recorded an episode on this last year that listeners really enjoyed. And so if you're a new listener, be sure to check it out. If you're an existing listener who already listened to it, listen to it again. And (laughs) we will see you all next month. Yay! Of course, you guys, we will drop all of the links to the sources and resources that we have used for the production of this episode in the show notes. So be sure to check that out for the content of the episode, but also for our Now You Know segment. We appreciate y'all for joining us each and every month. If you think that more people can benefit from this conversation, please be sure to share the podcast with a friend or family member. Also, don't forget to leave a review and subscribe to Now We Know wherever you listen. You can find me on Instagram at Donna Janine, or if you want to drop us a note, any feedback or maybe suggestions on people that you'd like us to cover, send us an email at realrelatablepodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening.